Oh God, thank you so much that you give us the freedom, the opportunity, the grace to press in to you, to seek you, Lord. And your word tells us that none of us seeks after you. No, not one. And then your word tells us that when we seek you, we'll find you. And I love that conundrum because we can't seek you unless you seek us. And I'm so grateful, Lord, that you have, that you, by your grace and your mercy and your love, have brought us to yourself. And I ask, Father, as we look into your word, that we would see you more clearly, that your voice would be the voice that we hear, and that we would rest in your amazing voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17 says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Last week we studied our need to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, while not despising the chastening of the Lord. This week, we're going to turn to the topic of renewing our spiritual vitality as we strengthen what is weak, pursue peace and holiness, and we make sure that we look carefully so that bitterness and sin do not derail our spiritual lives. And so, all of the word of God is connected, right? From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, it is one book. And one of the difficult things about breaking books down into, into little component parts like this is it's really easy to think what we talked about last week was last week, and what we're talking about this week is this week, and what we're going to talk about next week will be next week, but it's all together. It's all one. We are told to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're told to lay aside the weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. If we don't, then we're going to endure the chastening of the Lord because those he loves, he chastens. So when we get off that path, he's going to come back. He's going to correct us as a loving father. And then he's going to tell us, all right, now I've corrected you. It's time to strengthen what's weak. It's time to pursue peace. It's time to be careful that you don't get bitter. It's time to be careful that you don't let sin derail your spiritual life. It's all together. So this week, don't think that this message stands on its own. Reality, everything in every book of the Bible stands together. It's one of the reasons that the Word of God is such an amazing, amazing book. Because there are those who try to make, this is not my sermon, I'm just, it's a rabbit trail, but you'll be okay, I think. I hope anyway. Um, there's a lot of people that look at the word of God and they say, well, it's a man-made book. It's true that God used the hands of human beings, and not just men, there's a few women in there too, used the hands of human beings to put his word on, well, what we would call paper. Back then it was sheepskin or papyrus or there's even one part that God actually wrote himself. The Ten Commandments were engraved on stone with the very finger of God. But we know that all of the word is inspired. Literally, according to 2 Timothy 3.16 and a couple other places, breathed out by God. And sometimes people get a little bit, well, how could that be? I don't believe it. Okay. You don't have to believe it. You are allowed to be wrong. But the reality is, the Word of God is a divinely inspired 
divinely constructed, miraculous work. And we know that based on so many things. And I'm not going to get into all the evidence, but there is so much evidence that the Word of God is the Word of God. For thousands of years, people have been trying to disprove this book. Yet here it is. We hold it in our hands. Why is this book illegal in 50-plus countries around the world? It's because they're afraid of the truth that it contains. Why is it that we can stand here today and hold this book, read it, and study it, and base our entire eternity, our entire lives here, and our entire eternity on what this book says? Because over and over and over again, people have tried. They have tried to discredit it. They have tried to disprove it. They have tried to explain it away. And over and over and over again, those people have failed. Because this contains the very word of God. The very expression of who he is. Everything he wants us to know about him. So we don't come up with what we think we want to believe. Right? Because there's a lot of people who go, well, I really like the God of love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. That's awesome. But I don't believe that God is wrathful. I don't believe that God will take vengeance. I don't believe that there will be judgment. Then you would be wrong. Or there's people who say, well, I like the idea that there's some spiritual being up there. And as long as he stays out of my way, I'll stay out of his. You're going to hell. I'm sorry. That's not my opinion. That's what God told us. You will spend an eternity separated from him. We do not form our opinions, and then try to get the Bible to fit in. We listen to what the Bible says, and what we believe is based on his word. That's why the Bible says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's why the Bible says, that's uh, uh, Romans 10, 17. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, every word of God is pure. Over and over and over again. Now, if anybody listening, whether you're online or here, you think I'm wrong, great, let's talk about it. I will show you why I'm not. And if you don't want to talk to me about it, Google it. Look up the Saunders Bibliographical text for, Test for the Authenticity of Ancient Texts. It's unbelievable. Or just ask me, I'll email it to you. Um, the Word of God is the Word of God. It is, it is, it is, from beginning to end. What about contradictions? I dare you to find one. There's not a contradiction in the Bible. There's not. Yeah, there's a few places where maybe there's this name and somebody else, a different translation says it's that name, and we can show why that's not a contradiction. There are no contradictions in Scripture. People like to complain. Wow, this can be a whole different sermon if I don't stop. Um, people like to say, oh, well, all the prophecy, it was written afterwards. That's my favorite argument. I love that argument. People, uh, the book of Daniel one of the most ridiculously accurate prophetic books in Scripture. They're all accurate, but the book of Daniel predicted four coming world kingdoms, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, Greece, and Rome. And he predicted them, Daniel did, by the Holy Spirit working in him, hundreds, even thousands of years before any of those world powers came into their power. And he did it by name. He didn't just say, oh, this world power and that world power, and then we look back. He said the Medes and the Persians. He said Greece. He said it by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the point that critics today insist that the book of Daniel was written after Jesus' time on earth. They, they Oh, because it couldn't be. It could not be. Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27 predicts the day that Jesus presents himself on the Mount of Olives to the nation of Israel to the day. If you, if you want to listen to that, go check it out on, on our, our YouTube page, Beware the Caffeinated Pastor. I go through all of that. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. The most ridiculously accurate prediction in all of Scripture. It is amazing. Check it out. But all these scholars say, well, the Bible can't be accurate. The Bible, this can't be. They wrote this down afterwards, then they put it in the Old Testament, trying to pretend that it was accurate when really it was just a contrivance of human beings. But in 270 
B.C., 270 years before Jesus Christ, before he was born, before he lived a sinless life, before he died a perfect death in our place and then rose again. 270 years before that, there was a version of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint. Seventy Greek scholars translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. 270 years before Christ. This is even before the actual rise of the Roman Empire. Greece was still in basically the world power at the time. That's why they translated it into Greek. Because the language of Greek was spreading like wildfire the more Greece conquered. So they translated it into Greek 270 years before Christ. I've said that, right? Guess what book was that? The book of Daniel with all the prophecies the way we have them in our English Bibles today. The word of God is living and active and par more powerful than any two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And our faith, everything we believe, everything we practice, everything we know about who God is and what he's done for us, and everything we know about what he wants us to do, it's right here. Now that's sermon number one. Sermon number two, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Sorry. Um, verse 12 and 13. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. So we have a therefore as this is a continuing thought of teaching and encouragement. Because we're looking to Jesus as we lay aside every weight and sin which hinders us, as we receive the loving correction of our Lord, we need to strengthen what is weak in our own spiritual lives. And I love this word strengthen because it's not just, it has a very interesting meaning to me. Because it means to make something right through intense, repetitive reversal. Through intense, repetitive reversal. So, we are to strengthen the hands that hang down. That phrase literally means the apathy in the instrument of our work. Right? So, picture a person whose job is, is digging ditches with a shovel. Right? That's just an easy illustration for this. And the shovel's sitting there and they do this. They won't lift their hands to pick up the shovel. That is apathy in your instruments of work. Right? In your hands. Feeble knees. The word means paralyzed or sick. It speaks of a person who can't stand. Right? They have feeble knees. They cannot stand up. Um, any of you know uh, that I have gout issues. Uh, I have struggled with gout uh, for many, many years. Thankfully, uh, I haven't had any problems with it recently. Um, God is good. And he has provided a great prescription through modern medicine that has helped me out wonderfully. And I don't eat shrimp. Shrimp and I... Big disagreement, which is sad because I love shrimp. Um, but there was a time, and my wife will remember this, I had a gout attack so bad in one of my knees, my knee was about three times bigger than the other one, I couldn't step on it, I couldn't stand on it, I couldn't walk on it, I literally, I had to crawl to the bathroom dragging that knee behind me to make sure it didn't move. It was awful. I ended up in the emergency room, they ended up giving me cortisone shots, not cortisone, was cortisone a steroid? Maybe it was cortisone. They gave me cortisone, thank you, Nurse Linda. They gave me cortisone shots right into my knee, which was horrible until about an hour later. Once it kicked in, I was a happy camper. They also gave me morphine. It was a great trip to the hospital. Um, but I was in that much pain, right? But I couldn't stand. That's a feeble knee. So you want to do something to fix that. Then you want to make straight paths for your feet. A lever, a level, sorry, direct or right course of conduct for your walk with the Lord. And what this boils down to is that this is about being intentional in our spiritual lives. I read a book, and I can't remember the author's name now. It might have been John Mark Comer, but basically it talks about how we are all developing spiritually. Whether we want to or not, whether we think we are or not, as a follower of Christ, we can intentionally develop our spiritual lives. We can get into the word. We can be part of church. We can serve. We can pray. There's things we can do to intentionally grow in our spiritual lives.
But if we're not doing that, we are still developing spiritually. We just might be developing spiritually the wrong way. We may start thinking, well, I'm going to create a God in my own image. I want a God who's loving and gracious and compassionate, like my rant at the beginning. But I don't want a God who, who requires anything of me. I don't want a God who wants me to surrender to him. I still want to live my life however I want. I still want to commit all the sins I still want to commit. But I do want to go to heaven, right? Nobody wants to burn in hell for eternity. So I'm going to pretend that I believe in this God, and hopefully that's good enough. I'm going to let you in on something. It's not. Even atheists are growing spiritually in some way. They are very much growing spiritually in the wrong direction. But they still have some set of spiritual beliefs, even if that set of spiritual beliefs is to deny the one true God. They're still developing somehow. So the key is to be intentional in our spiritual life. Is there a sin, a practice, or a lack of intentionality in your walk with the Lord that is hindering you from running the race before you? If so, through intensive, repetitive reversal, and by the grace and power of God in our lives, it needs to be dealt with. If we're being apathetic in some area of our spiritual life, we need to deal with it. If we cannot move forward because something's holding us back, we need to deal with it. If we're not walking on the path that God has for us, then we deal with it. We deal with it intensely, not with apathy. We deal with it repetitively. That means we are constant and intentional. And we deal with it by reversing anything that needs to be reversed or changed. This may be repentance or developing a new habit or stepping out in faith. Whatever it is, it has to be done with intense, repetitive reversal. Anybody ever seen pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger back in his heyday when he was Mr. Universe and Mr. Olympia and, and, and Mr. all the other misters that he had? Right? Dude's bicep was bigger than my head. He weighed more than I do, but in slightly better shape. <laughs> Thank you. Um, how do you think he got like that? Do you think he would wake up on Monday and go, I, I don't feel like going to the gym today. I'm going to eat a pie. I'm going to stay home and watch TV. You know, Tuesday came along. Well, I get, you know what? Maybe I'll go for a walk. That'll be helpful. You know what he did? Six hours a day, six to eight hours a day, six days a week. That is intense. That is repetitive. Right? And let's, he obviously wasn't born in that kind of shape. So it was a, a reversal of a previous lifestyle. Even if he wasn't overweight or something, he, he, had, he was living one way. He decided he was going to be the best bodybuilder in the history of the sport. And so he had to change. That's how that happened. You want those kind of spiritual muscles? You want that kind of walk with Christ? Intense, repetitive, and if necessary, reversal. Philippians 2, 12 through 16 says it this way. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what we do. That's where our intense, repetitive reversal comes from, is working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But... It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So what does that mean? God is the one who does this work in us. We are willing participants, right? If we refuse to be intentional in growing in our faith in Christ, God will allow that. He will also allow the consequences to come in from that. But if we say, all right, Lord, I want everything that you have for me. It's a fun prayer. You buckle up and you hang on. Because when you say, all right, God, I want everything you have for me. I'm going to surrender everything I am. It's not that you're going to be perfect, that you're never going to make mistakes or have bad days. But God's going to go, all right, let's do this. And it's awesome. And then you might have weeks or months or seasons where you struggle with it. But then you come back and you do it again. He goes on, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. So here's the reality, and then we'll move forward. 
No one ends up anywhere by accident. Whether we are walking into sin and away from God, or we are walking into holiness by the power of God's Spirit, we are doing so intentionally. Sometimes that intentionality is due to our apathy, right? You think, well, I'm not doing anything to intentionally walk into sin. But are you intentionally walking towards Christ? Because if you're not intentionally walking towards Christ, you are intentionally walking into sin. It's just the reality. So sometimes our intentionality comes from our apathy. Sometimes it comes from our actions. But either way, we are going in the direction based on our intentionality. It is not by accident. Arnold Schwarzenegger did not become one of the greatest bodybuilders in the history of the sport on accident. We've been watching this weekend. You all know I'm a little obsessed with pickleball. We've been watching the national championships this weekend, and, and uh, it's kind of fun because usually we don't watch a lot of sports in our house, but we all love it. We're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. My wife, it's real funny. If the ball hits the top of the net and falls over, every time she goes, <gasps> Like, it's really, it's not that scary, but it's cool, you know, I get it. Um, but we're watching these, these people who are amazing at what they do. And then you hear an interview about how they got there. Right? One of the people we've, we've seen a lot is a guy named Ben Johns. Ben, if you're listening, send me a paddle. Um, and he, he, I saw an interview about his schedule. Um, so he gets up in the morning, 7, 8 o'clock, he eats breakfast, then he plays pickleballs for three or four hours takes a break for lunch, then he goes to the gym for a couple hours, takes a break, then he does drills with his trainer for a couple hours, then he has dinner and goes to sleep. Intense, repetitive, reversal. That's how you get there. Now, I want, I would love to be able to do that for pickleball, but that's not going to happen. But that's what I want in my spiritual life every moment of every day given to him. And it's not going to happen on accident. It's not. Verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This simple little verse, we are commanded, this is not a suggestion. I want you to keep that in mind. Paul, the author of Hebrews, isn't saying, you know what? It would be a great idea if you tried to pursue peace with other people. It would be a great idea if you incorporated a little holiness into your life. That's not what it says. This is a command. Pursue peace, pursue holiness. So the word pursue here means to press forward, follow after, or be given to. So the first thing we are to pursue is peace. Peace with everyone. Not just peace with people we agree with, people who have the same political persuasion, not peace with people who like the same things we like or look the same way we do on the outside, not people who have the same interests, peace with everyone. I find that very difficult to do sometimes. Anybody else? Am I the only one? It's not always easy. Sometimes you have a coworker who's a jerk. Pursue peace. Sometimes you have a person who their political views are so opposite of yours. Yet it happens. Right? I know, that's a surprise. As we've been going through the election the last week or so, nobody, we're like, really? Our nation has different political views? We don't just all agree? Every time we have an election, I'm reminded of how divided this nation really is. And what's really scary about that is how quickly it happens. It was, was it President, was it 80 or 84 when Reagan won every state but one? Back then, our nation was united. Yeah, we didn't agree on everything, but our nation was united. And within 40 years, a little less, that's all gone. Our nation is extremely divided. I pray for our nation because of that. But does that mean if someone put up a, um, well, I'm not going to use names, but if somebody put a sign in their yard saying, you know, vote yes on this or vote for that person, and that's not the person I'm going to vote for, that I'm going to go rip up their signs and set their house on fire? Nope. I'm not going to do that. Am I going to speak hatefully towards them or about them? No. Right? Every time I see our president, who quite often is just in the news for the difficulties that he has, every time I see that, I pray for him. Okay, not every time. But most of the time, 
I praise them because the Bible commands me to. Right? My job, I'm here to pursue peace with all people. All people. Matthew 5, 9 reminds us, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, sometimes pursuing peace means we have to make peace, not just keep peace. Big, big difference. Big difference. The UN has a group of people they call peacekeepers, right? And they go in. And what are they allowed to do? Very little, right? They're not allowed to engage with hostile forces. They're all there. They're, they're there just in the hopes that things won't get worse. That's a peacekeeper. A peacemaker is very different. A peacemaker sees an issue, goes in, and fights to fix it. Big, big difference. Blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes being a peacemaker isn't fun because it means you have to confront somebody over something that is disturbing that peace. But if you're going to pursue peace, you might have to do that. I've done it more than once. It's not pleasant. Just keeping the peace is being quiet, hoping things will get better. And I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't. It doesn't. You have to pursue peace. Romans 12, 17 and 21, or through 21, sorry. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I love this statement. We don't have to get vengeance. God's going to take care of that. In our pursuit of peace, we are not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. Feed your enemy. Give him something to drink. And then it says, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And I've heard a number of people go, oh, yeah, see, you do that. That's your vengeance. No, it's not. Heaping coals of fire on somebody's head is a good thing. Let me explain. Back in those days, they didn't have lighters, right? You couldn't go to the store and get a Zippo. Uh, you know, they, they usually didn't even have flint. So what they would do is they would keep their fires going all the time. Because if they didn't, right, it was not necessarily easy to get one started again. So say my fire went out. I couldn't cook my bread. My house was getting cold in my house. And I would go to my neighbor. We'll say Steve is my neighbor at the time. I'm like, Steve, my fire went out. And Steve would take this container and he would take some of the coals out of his fire and put it in my container that I would hold on my head. It was typically how they did it. I don't know why. I imagine there's a better place to hold coals than there, but it's how they did it. And then carry it home and you dump those coals into your fireplace and restart your fire. It was a kindness. That's the way we are to be in this world. Second, holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. The word for holiness is purity or sanctification. We are made righteous by Jesus Christ when we are saved, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We are sanctified before God as a result, Hebrews 10. And at the same time, we do not use the grace of God as an excuse to sin, Romans chapter 6. Instead, we seek by the power of God's Holy Spirit and through the guidance of his word to live lives of holiness that will honor the Lord and make us good ambassadors of the gospel. We referred to 1 Peter 1.13-15 last week. But it just says it so well, we're coming back to it. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that encouragement, right? You don't rest your hope on yourself. You don't rest your hope on your government. You don't rest your hope on your education or on your money or on anything else. You rest your hope fully upon the grace of Jesus Christ. Because, folks, there's no other way. You already know that. You hear me say it all the time. I'm never going to stop. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other version of spirituality unless it's a false version. It's Jesus. It will always be Jesus. It always has been Jesus. Period. He goes on. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, are we going to do that perfectly? No. 
I'm not sitting here telling you that if you leave today and you sin in some way, shape, or form, your salvation's gone, you've dishonored God with your entire life, you're on your way to hell. Rest your hope fully on the grace of God. That's what that passage says. I rest my hope fully on the grace of God. On Wednesday, we were studying David. And you know what? David was not a perfect guy. He killed Goliath? Great. He served Saul faithfully? Great. When he got scared, he ran. When we come up this week, we're going to see more of his mistakes. Later on, when he's king, commits adultery, commits murder, sins time and time again. Every time he comes back, he repents. He seeks God's forgiveness. But over and over and over again, David made mistakes. And God used him. And God called him a man after his own heart. Was that because David was perfect? No. It's because David pursued God. I love that. Because it gives me a lot of comfort. Because if God can use an adulterous murderer, he can use me. He can use you. But that holiness, basically what it means is when we don't conform ourselves to the lust, our former lust, I'm not going to continue to live in sin and pretend I'm following Christ. Right? It's not that I won't sin. It's not about perfection. But I'm not living in sin. Sin is not my practice. Because that's not what God wants for any of us. He wants us to live a life of holiness. And as I mentioned last week, one of the greatest arguments to that today, it's not a great argument, it's a stupid argument, it's just popular. Well, doesn't God want me to be happy? No! I love you, and God loves you a whole lot more than I do. Your happiness is not his concern. Your eternal destination is. Your happiness is not my concern. Your eternal destination is. Right? Nothing wrong with being happy. It's much better to have joy, because joy has its source in God, and it can't be shaken. Happiness can change in the blink of an eye, just because a situation changes. But God's not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. First, that you receive that holiness as a gift of his grace when you receive Christ as Savior, and second, by the power of his Holy Spirit, that you then walk in that holiness. Verse 15. We're then told, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessings, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So we are to look carefully. And I love this word. The word in Greek is episkopeo. It's where we get our word episkopos. It's the word for shepherd, elder, or pastor. Now, there are other places in the Bible that say, as your pastor and as the elders of this church, we're supposed to look after your spiritual well-being. There's places in the Bible that say, as followers of Christ, we are to each look out for each other's spiritual well-being. Now here, we're being told to look out for our own spiritual well-being as well. Right? All of that needs to take place. We're not supposed to do this alone, but I'll get to that in a minute. But what it means is that we are to give careful and diligent oversight to the following issues in our lives. And there's a couple issues listed here. Number one, that we don't fall short of the grace of God. Right? Be careful and be diligent to not fall short of the grace of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, we were exhorted to diligently enter the rest of God. Right? To not fall because of disobedience. Ultimately, to fall short of God's grace is to trust in anything other than Jesus for our salvation. That's what it means to fall short of the grace of God. Because it's the grace of God that saves us. That's where we put our faith. That's where we put our hope. Is in what he has done for us. The moment we say, I can do it my own. The moment we say, you know what? If I live a good enough life, hopefully when I get there, the scales will balance. They will not. Your sin can never be balanced by your good works. Ever. The scales will never balance. The only way that is even possible is that when you get there and your sin is laid before you, 
There's nothing you can do about it. You plead the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. So ultimately falling short of the grace of God is believing in anything else but Jesus' death and resurrection for your salvation. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many are defiled. And so we're warned, because this word for bitterness here is literally poison. It's literally poison. One, there's a, a great quip that goes around that says, being bitter or holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's exactly what it is. Well, you don't know what they did to me. God does. Yeah, maybe I don't know. God does. And God forgave the worst in us. So we forgive the worst in others. It's not easy. It's not even fun. But it's commanded. And we are to be obedient. Right? That's just one example. There's a lot of ways bitterness can take root in our lives. A past hurt that we refuse to let go of. Anger that boils up inside of us because of something that happened that we don't like. I mean, God, you spend five minutes watching the news today, you'll come up with about 38 things to be better about. We could be better about inflation. We can be better about the election. We can be better that, that the thing we voted for didn't pass or the person we voted for lost. We can be better because something happened at work that we don't like. We can be better because somebody in a relationship didn't treat us the way we hoped they would. We can be bitter about all kinds of things, can't we? We can be bitter because we pulled up to the coffee shop and they closed early. I'm going to show you just how petty I am. We were in Crested Butte. This was several months ago. I, my wife already knows what I'm going to talk about. And we really wanted to try a coffee place up there that we'd never been to. So, right, they said they closed. I can't remember. They were supposed to close at 4. It was like 2.30. Right? It wasn't even close. It wasn't like five minutes till. It was like an hour and a half till they were supposed to close. So we trotted over there. We picked up our mini donuts. That was before the mini donut place closed. Anyway, we trotted over and we were heading up the steps. And the owner of that place, it was like 2.30, looked out and said, sorry, I'm closing early. I don't feel like being here anymore. And closed the door. Well, guess where I have never gone and gotten coffee in Crested Butte? I'm not going to tell you the name of that place, but it wasn't Camp Forest. It wasn't um, County Books. I'm not going to say it. That would be mean. But the point is, um, I got a little petty about that. Now I refuse to go back. <laughs> but what happens if we let bitterness take root and grow? It defiles us, and it corrupts our spiritual life. Try to ask God for forgiveness when you're refusing to forgive someone else. Jesus already told us that wouldn't happen. If you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. <gasps> That's an unfortunate verse, isn't it? I kind of wish it wasn't there. Oh, God will forgive you even if you hate people. Thanks, God. That's not what it says. If you refuse to forgive others, Jesus told a parable about an unforgiving servant, but I'm going to go way too long if I get into that. Ephesians 4, 30-32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I like to give homework sometimes. Take those two verses, memorize them, and meditate upon them. I promise God will show you something in your life. Just like he does to me every time I read that, those couple scriptures. Oh, yeah, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor be put away from you. And God goes, really? What about that? Does that really count? Can't I just have that one? No. And then he goes on, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who sold his birthright for one morsel of bread. Then he wanted it back, but he was rejected because he refused to repent, even though he tried. I do find that interesting. Here we are warned to not let sin or godlessness reign in our lives. We, of course, know that the word fornicator is, is the idea of sex outside of marriage, which the Bible clearly forbids. And then the Bible clearly defines marriage as between one man and one woman for life. Right? I know that doesn't always work, but... That's the goal. But the point is, 
It's not between one man and one man for however long they feel like it, or one woman and one woman, or one man and two women, or two women and one man. Uh, that's the same thing. Or two men and one woman, or between six people who have some kind of weird polyamorous relationship. No, it's sin. It's wrong. Apparently, Esau was on that list. The Bible isn't real specific about how he did that, although he did marry women that displeased his parents and he did it on purpose. That may be what it's referring to. But also a profane person who, that word means godless. And what was he godless over? A temporary present indulgence. He was hungry. And he was hungry, and he came in from the field, and his brother had made a nice lentil stoop. Stoop? I'm sticking with it. Lentil stoop. He made this nice lentil soup. We were watching. This is completely off topic, but it was so funny. We were watching Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, and Snoop Dogg has a cereal. Now, it's a good, good cause. They use it to, the, the proceeds from it go to feed the homeless. But Snoop Dogg's cereal is called Snoop Loops. So Esau comes in from the field, and his brother's got a nice bowl of Snoop Loops. And he's like, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. Now his brother should be like, oh, you're my brother. I love you. Here, eat something. Jacob, being a sly person that he was, said, okay, sell me your birthright. And Esau should have gone, uh-uh. I'll walk a little farther and get something from mom and dad to keep your stoop. Um, but he doesn't. What good is my birthright if I'm dead? He wasn't about to die. Man, he was so dramatic. But he did it. He sold it. And later on, when Jacob then stole the blessing, which is another issue, he cried to his father, don't you have anything left for me? Too late. If you hadn't sold your birthright, you'd be fine. But oh no, it was too late. But for what? A present indulgence. How many people derail their spiritual lives? They derail their marriage. Maybe they derail their career. Maybe they derail their relationships. Maybe they corrupt their witness to the people around them from one moment. Right? And it's not that we're not going to make mistakes or be perfect. But I know there's been times I've lost my temper and ruined my witness with people. I've done it. I've repented. I don't want to do it again. But I've done it. How many people can we talk about? Do we know? Please don't bring it up. Don't write a list out. But people who say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, but I want to go this way. I want to go that way. And it just destroys their spiritual lives. And people think, oh, that's not really going to happen. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, or son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The word enjoy there is to hold tightly. Would you rather hold tightly to your sin? Watch your spiritual life disintegrate in front of you and, and maybe you know maybe you don't lose your salvation but you lose your witness maybe you cause other people to not come to Christ by your behavior oh, I don't want to do that I've done it I don't want to do it again right or you hurt the people around you you hurt the people that you love for what a bite of stoop you know, that turned out pretty good because a bite of stoop is just plain stupid. One little thing. Deuteronomy 4.9 tells us, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. It's so easy. We think it's not, oh, I'm stronger than that. I would never fall into that sin. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, take heed. If any of you thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And so I think about that verse a lot. In my heart and in my mind, I would never want to cheat on my wife. And you all have my permission to help her bury the body after she kills me. I taught her how to shoot for a reason. Well, so did her dad, but She's got her own gun. And if I ever cheat on her, I'll stand there and let her fire. I deserve it. And you all help her, right? You tell her where I'm going to be, make it a dark alley, make sure there's no cameras, help her out. <laughs> totally. And then 
the, all the guys, right, get the shovels, take me out somewhere, bury me. And when some people come ask me, well, what happened to her husband? Well, you have my permission. Because I don't ever want to do that. But here's the reality. I'm capable of it. I know that. He froze to death in the forest. Yes, he froze to death in the forest. <laughs> Complete accident. We have no idea how he got there or how that bullet hole got in his head or where his fingerprints went. I mean, it's just crazy. But I know I'm capable of it because my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And I don't ever want to do that. So you know what? I don't meet with women alone. I don't go places where that could even be a possibility. I don't even like to text women unless typically my wife or their husband is in on the text. That's usually how I do it. Because you know what? I want to be above reproach. I don't even want there to be a little possibility that someone could look and say, oh, well, look. No, I don't want that. I don't want it. Because I love her so very much. And because I do not want to dishonor my God in such a way. And because I love my children. I had someone look at me once and they said, this is what you, this is what you do to keep from cheating on your, your spouse. Imagine having to look at your child and tell them what you did. Uh-uh. That would be the worst possible thing I could imagine. So let's close. The instructions we looked at today are vital for our lives. We must constantly and intentionally be moving in the direction God has for us in our spiritual lives. As part of that forward, God-directed movement, we are to strengthen the areas of our spiritual lives where we are weak or where we lack intentionality. We are to be peacemakers who live at peace with others as we pursue holiness, the holiness that God has for us in our lives. Additionally, we have to give diligent oversight to our lives so we do not fall short of God's grace or get caught up in bitterness or fall into unrepented sin just so we can be temporarily indulged. So, I always close with fun questions. The first one, I ask it every week, and I will until the day I die, or that trumpet sounds. And that is, is there anybody here who needs to know Jesus? Whether you're here, whether you're listening online, or whether you listen to this recording some other time, we talked about spiritual vitality today, and the reality is every person is on some spiritual journey, right? Now, maybe we're being intentional about a spiritual journey that leads us to God through Christ, or maybe we're ignoring that, but we're going in some direction, but everyone's on some sort of spiritual journey. But if, if you really want to know the truth, if you really want to know what it means to have a spiritual life that is vital. If you really want to spend eternity in the presence of God, even if you don't quite know what that means or looks like yet, the only way to do that is through Jesus. He is the only source of true spiritual life. Following him is the only source of true spiritual vitality. Anything else is false. Anything else will lead you to a false sense of self. Anything else will lead you to a false spirituality. And anything else will lead you to the wrong eternal destination. But the cure, the fix, is so simple. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You turn from your sin, you turn to God through Christ, and you let him. You let him, right? You don't even have to do anything. You just let him forgive you, heal you, fill you with his spirit, and give you a purpose beautiful. If anybody needs that, you talk to me, you can make a comment, you can go on our website, you can get a hold of us, but please do that. Now for those of us who know Jesus, where do we need to be more intentional in our spiritual lives? That's a fun question, isn't it? Well, I read the Bible, okay. Do you read it enough? No, none of us do, just so you know. Right? Do you pray enough? No. Do you serve enough? No. Do you love enough? Probably not. Now, I'm not saying that you have to pursue perfection, but you do have to pursue holiness. And you have to do so intentionally. So is there some sin that you haven't repented of? Has God told you that he wants you to do something, but you haven't done it? Are you being intentional in how you seek God? As you read the Bible or pray or serve or seek to advance your relationship with him in his kingdom? Because you're either intentionally moving forward 
or you're not. You're moving backwards. It's that simple. We all need to be more intentional. And we as a church do this together. Right? I can't do it for you. I can't read the Bible for you. I can't pray instead of you praying. I can pray for you. But I can't pray and then you don't have to. That's not how that works. We've had this discussion. If someone could exercise and diet and then it would apply to me, I would pay large sums of money for that. Right? I can eat all the cake I want and sit on the couch and watch pickleball and someone else goes to the gym and I lose weight. Right? The day they come, whoever comes up with that is going to be a billionaire. It's not going to ever happen. Right? But it's the same thing in our spiritual lives. I can't do it for you. And you can't do it for me. We can only do it by the power of God's spirit, by the p- guidance of his word, but then we do it together. We do it together. That's what being part of a church family is all about. Right? If I'm tempted, if I'm struggling, I can ask you to pray for me. I can ask you to walk alongside me. I can ask you to hold me up. And this church does it better than any church I've ever been part of. It just does. And it's the same for you. Not just with me, but with the people you're sitting next to. We do this together. Right? Why did Jesus go after the the one and leave the 99? I've said this before. But because it's the one that's in danger. Not the 99. Wolf, not that stupid. I'm not going to try to take out the whole flock. Oh, look, a sick little one over there. That'll be tasty. Satan thinks the same way. He thinks the same way. Right now, you're here. You think Satan's trying to get at you right now? When's he going to try to get at you? When you're alone the most. That's when he's going to come after you. And what do you do? You call the people who are here today. And we walk together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for your incredible love and grace to each of us. We pray, Father, that you help us to be intentional in our relationship with you. And I pray, God, that you would help all of us to know that we never have to do this alone, that you are always with us, and that we can do this together as a family. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit, with your love, and with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.